All right, so as I said in the text about tonight and Mitzvah next Tuesday night as well, because Shavuos, among other things, it's the Yerzad of Baal Shem Tov, and it's also the Yerzad of David Melech. So I wanted to take the opportunity to at least for these two classes to really just go through the kernel of what really Hasidus, the main idea the Hasidus is about. You know, today people use the word Hasidus for a whole host of various different things. For some people, being Hasidic is a culture. It's a, you know, a way of living that's, that's pretty much you know, um, ultra-Orthodox, etc. For some people, there's neo-Hasidism, which could mean another thing. And there are many different you know, approaches to what it is. And so, Aniyaz Daiti, you know, I would like to humbly try to offer what I understand based on Hasidus, what is the Baal Shem Tov, and it's not just me. I mean, the Rebbeim of Chabad say this too. And the reason that I'm mentioning that is because there's a reason that Chabad is called Chabad, Chachma Bin Andas, Wisdom, Understanding, and Knowledge. And that's because essentially, if you were to summarize what it is in one sentence, it's the explanation of the Baal Shem Tov, or more correctly stated, the theology, the Torah of the Baal Shem Tov. So I want to actually begin by asking, like opening the table to, to hear if anyone wants to say, like, if I were to say to you, what's Hasidus all about? What, what is Hasidus? Like, what's, what, what is, if I would define Hasidus for me, what would it be? What's the idea? What's, what's in Hasidus? What is it? Anyone want to try? To... Holistic service of God. Holistic service of God. Nice. Okay, what do you mean? That's very nice. What do you mean by holistic service of God? Okay, good. Now, there's integrating all faculties. I mean, <clears throat> I would imagine that even before Chassidus and those that were anti-Chassidus would also say that, they're, that all their fa- faculties, they're, you know, taking into account. But certainly there's ideas of Chassidus that certain aspects of personality that weren't considered kosher before where Chassidus says, yeah, you could use that also to serve Hashem, right? That's, that's definitely true. So I'll I'll take that definitely a holistic serving Hashem holistically. Anyone else? What, what do you know about Chassidus? <clears throat> More of a just a, a, a deep a deep. Like a, I don't want to. He said it so it's something so cool, but like um, like more of like a, a spiritual, deeper, connected. More emotional, more feeling, more that than a text-based reality. Beautiful, beautiful. So more spiritual, like, more emotional, and what was the third word you said? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> more spiritual, more, more emotional, more connected. Yeah, more just okay. like a, more of a whole, like I said, a holistic, but just more. In others, like I a, think what you're saying is yes. what many would phrase it that Hasidus stresses dveikus. Yes, dveikus. Right, word, yeah. more spiritual, more emotional. That really, Chassidus would say, look at all, looks at all of Torah mitzvahs as just essentially a way of having dveikus. Yes, and the and the focus being the cleaving to God, that being the focus of religion, and making sure that that's pronounced. Because all too often in in Judaism, you know, in, including by from Jews, that the idea of God is not you know necessarily pronounced. Uh, as much as a lot of the details of God's law. And so it's important to see this as, yeah, dveikos, it's all about dveikos. Okay, very good. Dveikos and holistic service. What else? Yeah, Alex? 
uh, inclusiveness. Inclusiveness of meaning? Well, I, so my understanding was, was always that, Torah, I guess like Torah learning or the literature world seemed exclusive unless you had some sort of talent for it. It could be that you were outside. And my understanding was that Hasidus uh, was, was right, exactly for, Beautiful. Everybody, for That's the nice. yeah. everyday person. Very good, right. For the everyday person, Hasidus was, was a populist movement for the masses. The Baal Shem Tov certainly stressed the idea that all people could serve God. There's no hierarchy, right? Hasidus was, one could say, the democratization of Judaism, right? The democracy, the making it the... And it's always fascinating to me. I always like to point out when developments in Jewish thought um, parallel developments in world thought. <clears throat> and those, when the Baal Shem Tov was around, in the years of the Baal Shem Tov, from was born in about 1700 and died in about 1760, those were the years that the whole idea of equality of humanity was taking shape. The American and French revolutions were coming from the philosophers that were talking the same time as the Baal Shem Tov. So it's certainly true of inclusivity of that everyone could serve Hashem, that there's no hierarchy, 100%, that's also true. Anyone else? I mean, it's more joy and singing. Beautiful, right? Definitely the idea of joy and singing. You know, it's interesting... Um, sociologically, whenever there's a revolutionary movement and it becomes establishment, it becomes very hard to understand what was the big chiddush, what was the novel idea, why was it so revolutionary. Just give an example, right? I mean, until the 60s, African Americans couldn't vote, right? They couldn't vote. They had to sit on a different side of the bus. And that's how long ago? 80 years ago? No, 60 years ago. That We're not talking prehistoric times. 60 years ago, you literally, the people discriminated against because of, their, because of the color of their skin. Now, at the time, it was revolutionary integration, desegregation. Today, it's like a no-brainer. Why? Because the revolutionary movement became establishment. Hasidus, in many ways, became establishment. So sometimes it's even hard to understand what, you know, to, to really, really see what Hasidus was, was about. And one of the things that that's definitely true is in the idea of joy in music. You know, it's ubiquitous today within Jews to stress, you know, and singing by davening. Before the chassidus, it was, there was singing by davening was not a, was not an off, was not a constant thing. B'chalal not. You know, when I, even when I, huh? Is, is that only in the Ashkenazi uh, tradition? <clears throat> well, because number one, yeah. we see it in the Bible. Yep. All the celebrations. Mm-hmm. So what was in other, in other um, traditions? Like? Well, there are a lot of the, a lot of the aesthetic um, ways of expression that we had in the time of the Beis Migdosh, exile completely removed from us, right? Rav Cook speaks about that, one, whether it's music or poetry or art, right? We, we were into that when we were on our land and everything, but the exile and, and being persecuted and living in Shtetlach didn't exactly afford the ability... To, to you know, develop the aesthetic impulse, but sort of Cook says that that's part of getting ready for Mashiach. So it's true that part of the, you know the, that music was definitely part of the avoda and, and the Tanakh is full of the joy and the simcha. That's true, but it's always a question of what one is pr- stresses. It's always a question of what one stresses. Now I could tell you in yeshivas that I learned, they would say lechadoidi like 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 by slichas that the chazan says one paragraph and. The, it would be like, they would actually recite L'chadoidi. They didn't sing it. So Ad Hayom, there are some bastions of 
misnagdism that, that, you know, that don't revel in singing by davening. So that's definitely true. But the fact that most people today, most shuls today that are not Hasidic do sing so much by davening, it's not considered even a Hasidic thing only, just shows you how the revolutionary movement became establishment. So that's definitely true. I would imagine everyone would also say there's the idea of a Rebbe, right? The idea of a Hasidic Rebbe is something that Hasidus brought about, right? Anyone else? I'm going to go in modern times and say a little bit of okay. exclusivity also. Exclusivity, what do you mean? Because, you know, we talk about Chabad be integrating, 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 all these kinds of things, but there are many Hasidic groups that are, like, very isolated. I actually use the word isolated. So, very better word, like isolated, purposefully isolated. Okay, that's very, very nicely stated. So yeah. I'll tell you like this. I, I mentioned... The Hasidus means a lot of things to a lot of different people, and and for many people it means a certain way of a culture. It's just a culture, right? And the culture that developed, it's very ironic, because Hasidus began, like Alex said, with complete inclusivity, and, you know, the Baal Shem Tov was all about the Anashim Pshutim, the simple people. The Baal Shem Tov said that a simple Jew... The simplicity of a simple Jew, which of course, when Baal Shem Tov or of Nachman Abresov say simple Jew, they don't mean simple, like stupid, right? Or even Tam from the Haggadah. They mean simple, what they mean to say is wholehearted with, with complete devoted faith, not adulterated by, by reason per se. Just the simple faith of the simple people, that beautiful, simple faith. The Baal Shem Tov, you know, said that that mamash comes from the simplicity of God's essence. And so, and yet, the culture of Hasidish, say what people would call being Hasidish, right, does lend to that exclusivity. But I vehemently uh, declare that that has nothing to do with the Baal Shem Tov. I don't. I just say I said bring it to the modern age. Like yes. When you said what does Hasidus mean? Like right. When I grew up, right. I go straight from square. I didn't go to square. Right. It wasn't open to me, so it was isolated. And I always thought that's how I. I didn't have. I didn't start with Chabad. The first Hasidim I knew was square. Right. right. It was a street for me in Spring Valley. So like, I just saw like a border. Right. And yeah. Events. Yeah. I hear you. you know? And 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 it, and there's also, of course, people could say that it's about what clothing you wear, certain types yeah. of clothing, different Hasidic groups about the wearing different types of clothing. Okay, right, which is also part of that, I guess you would say, uh, exclusivity aspect yeah. of it, right? Mm-hmm. Anyone else? All right, so what I want to point out over here is that nobody said anything about theology. And I'm I, I, telling you, I've, I've been doing this for a couple of years, a couple of decades, and when you ask most people, <clears throat> what's Hasidus, they'll tell you the answers that were given here, which are primarily sociological and primarily about how to serve Hashem. Whether it's Besimcha, whether it's holistically serving Hashem, whether it's the stress on Dveikus, <clears throat> whether it's having a Rebbe, whether it's you know, joy in music, right? inclusivity. Those are all ways of the, what, what is called Derech HaBal Shem Tov, the Derech of the Bal Shem Tov, the path of the Bal Shem Tov, the way of the Bal Shem Tov. But none of that really explains if the Baal Shem Tov actually brought a Chiddush, a new revelation in Torah. And so there are, the, the, there are those Hasidic groups that focus on the Baal Shem Tov as being, you know, as being something unbelievably special and different. And those were usually the more Russian Hasidim. It was Chabad and Chernobyl and Slonim. 
they understood, and, and, and one who learns Nept one sees, the Baal Shem Tev primarily brought a revelation of Torah to the world. And through that, all the other things that we discussed resulted. But in Judaism, everything starts and ends with Torah. Torah is the way God reveals himself. Torah is the way anything is revealed. So the Baal Shem Tev, primarily, the Derech the Baal Shem Tev comes from Torah the Baal Shem Tev. The Torah the Baal Shem Tev, the theology the Baal Shem Tev. So I want to discuss, you know, for at least the next two, two classes, I want to just try to get into the, the meat and the heart of what the Torah Sebaal Shem Tev is, and then we'll come back, Mitzvah Shem, to talk about how all those things that we said, how they result from the essential theological innovation of the Baal Shem Tev. And that's, by the way, why Tanya is so important. And that's why Tanya was valued not just by Chabad Hasidim, but Tanya is valued by all Hasidic groups as being the most um, comprehensive and uh, developed and orderly way of presenting the essential theology of the Baal Shem Tev. You could find it in Maranaim, you could find it in Kedusha Slave and Noim Alimelech, but it's not systematically explained, which again, why it's called Chabad. So Tanya is what is essentially the Torah of the Baal Shem Tev. The theology of the Baal Shem Tov. Yeah. Any Hasidut these days agree with you? Um, <clears throat> I think everyone would agree that Tanya is. I don't think. I don't know of any Hasidic group that doesn't hold of Tanya. I don't think. <clears throat> Tanya, yeah. Tanya? Yeah. Everyone holds of Tanya. And I think everyone would agree that it's a, that it's a representation of, of the essential Torah of the Baal Shem Tov. The later Abayim of Chabad became more, you know, then there, there became different groups, etc., and, and there's all the politics. But Tanya, as far as I know, I don't know a group that doesn't hold of Tanya. I know Satmar for sure they learn Tanya. They, you know, they, certain Prokham they learn, certain Prokham they don't learn. Yeah, that you know, that is true, but but I don't I don't know of any Hasidic group that says Tanya is not the Baal Shem Tov's Torah, the Baal, the teaching of the Baal Shem Tov. So first of all, I, I just want <clears throat> to just say and take a moment to just understand that, and and I do I I, I am definitely disclaimer I have been heavily influenced by the Chabad way of understanding Hasidus. That's definitely true. But I'm going to try to present it in the way that what I, I believe all Hasidic groups would understand is the theology of the Baal Shem Tov. And what's the main stress? What's the main push of the Baal Shem Tov? What did he essentially want from us? So it's important to understand that really we believe, Hasidim believe, that there was a Seder of his Galus of Torah. That's an important thing to understand. You know, Yafa Asadav it says in Kohelis, Hashem does everything in its right time. We know that Bechlal, Torah, there's a Seder when Torah is revealed. Right? We believe the Gemara says, <clears throat> the Gemara says, the Kol anything that any uh, established Torah scholar says and reveals was really given to Moshe at Sinai. The entire, everything was given to Moshe at Sinai. Right? The whole thing, everything, everything until Mashiach comes, every idea of Torah was given to Moshe at Sinai. But there's a question of when it's revealed. Megillus Esther was given to Moshe at Sinai, but it wasn't revealed and written down until the Purim story. Right? 
The book of Yermia that talks about Churban Beis Hamikdash was given to Moshe at some level, but not written down, not in a way that was revealed, right? So there's a Seder revelation of Torah. Also, when it comes to let's say learning, you have you have the Rambam, and then you have Reb Chaim Brisker on the Rambam, and then you have later Achreinim standing Reb Chaim Brisker. There's there's an order of how Torah is revealed. That also includes the inner light of Torah, the panemius of Torah. Because it's very, you know, the, the, the way we have Torah from the time of Chazal, it, there's, there's a very gaping d- lack of seemingly theology generally and certainly mysticism. There are hints to it in the Gemara. We have many pages in Chagiga, the Gemara Chagiga, that talk about a, a mystical tradition. It's in Mishnah. You even have in Mishnah talks about Maisim or Kava, right? And you have chapters of Tanakh, like Yecheskel, the first chapter of Yecheskel, etc. But certainly until the Zohar, it wasn't, it wasn't a uh, given, uh, a Torah that everyone could access. I mean, even when the Zohar was published, not everyone could access it. But the Zohar was the first time it was actually written down. So you had Rav Shimba Yochai, and then you had the Arizal that made the Kabbalah into a system, systematically gave it over. And then you had the Baal Shem Tev. In other words, by, 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 by Hasidim, the Baal Shem Tev was the next order after Shem Yochai and the Arizal, the final revelation of the inner light of Torah. And that's why actually Reb Mendel Vitebsker, Menach Mendel Vitebsker, who was one of the big students of the Mizritcher Magid, but the Mizritcher Magid, of course, the Mizritcher Magid was the successor of the Baal Shem Tev, Rebdov Ber Mizritch. And when he passed away, Remendel Vitebsker took over until he moved to Tveria, to Israel. And then that's when the Hasidic group splintered. But Remendel Vitebsker was the Rebbe after the Magid for a while. And he said, he writes about the Baal Shem Tev, I don't remember the exact words, but he says there was never anyone like the Baal Shem Tev. There was never anyone like the Baal Shem Tev. However you want to understand that, there was never anyone like the Baal Shem Tev. I mean, the Rabbi Yisrael of Velednik, if anyone ever heard of Yisrael Velednik, in Russia, it's a very big... Anyway, Yisrael Velednik writes that if the Baal Shem Tev was around at the time of Lanshe Sagdola. When the Shemona Esrei was written, we would say, Lekei Avram, Lekei Yitzhak, Lekei Yaakov, Lekei Yisrael. The Baal Shem Tov, Shem Tov is Kodesh Kadoshim. It's like something beyond anything. And the Baal Shem Tov was brought a whole new revelation of Torah. Of Torah. Because if you think about it also, to understand, the Baal Shem Tov, we all know the Hasidic movement was excommunicated. Right? By the Vilna Gom. All the things that, that, that we said before, would any of those be a reason to excommunicate the Hasidic movement? Any of those things, being besimcha, I mean singing by davening. I mean, there was definitely, there was certainly, there was, it, was, it upset the, the, the rabbinic hierarchy and establishment that the Hasidim have their, had their own shtibels. That's why it's called a shtibel, by the way. The word in, in Hebrew, what does a shtibel mean? The, in Yiddish, a shtub is a house. Shtub, a shtib is a house. So a shtibel is a, is a house minion. That's literally what it means, having a minion in the house. Because the Hasidim, instead of davening in the shuls, they would daven in houses. 
right? So that, that upset all the sociological order and everything, but that's not seemingly a reason to put a movement into Khairim. Anything we said before, what, what would be a reason to, to that, that, why would they excommunicate the Hasidim? Because of what? Because of holistic service of Hashem. And the answer is, it's because of the theology. It's because of the ideas of the, the, ideas of the Baal Shem Tov that were considered so antinomian and so challenging and so scary to many. So what I want to learn in honor of Shavuos is the main ideas of Teres Baal Shem Tov. The, because we could spend years and years. I mean, it takes you know, a lifetime to study everything. And, and, but, but the Lubavitcher Rebbe actually pointed out two ideas from the Baal Shem Tov which he said are the main Yisoyedis, the most fundamental ideas to give over what the Baal Shem Tov is about. But let's first say, in general, what is, I think, and I think everyone will get it right away, and it'll, it'll turn on, everyone will say right away, oh yeah. In one word, what is the, what is the Baal Shem Tov's Torah all about? What is it in, if you want it in one word, the Baal Shem Tov's Torah is? Explaining Achtus Hashem. The Baal Shem Tov's Torah is Achtus Hashem. The Baal Shem Tov's revelation is Achtus Hashem. Achtus Hashem means the unity of God. What does that mean, Achtus Hashem? It means a new way of understanding Achtus Hashem. And that is Achtus Hashem that literally Einon Movade, that nothing exists other than Hashem, that everything is Hashem, God is all and all is God. God is all and all is God. And that is the emuna of the Baal Shem Tov. You see, Nomi, what other Hasidic groups would say is that the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid wanted that all people should live with the emuna of the Baal Shem Tov, of the, of, that, of the theology of the Baal Shem Tov, to believe that God is in everything and God, not only is God accessible, but that He's present, ever-present, to believe have that emuna. And so the other Hasidic groups will mention and will talk about, you know, Seyv Kalam and Malakam, and they'll mention it, but not explain it, right? That's the difference between Chabad and the other groups. But the Amun of the Baal Shem Tov essentially is Einon Mavade, to always be able to, 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 to know that God is in everything and everything is in God, and God is all in all is God, and, and that, to understand that. So I want to just try to encapsulate quickly, what is that, where, where is that explained? And it was never yeah. said in the Zohar or in other places uh, in these Enom is a pasuk, so certainly the words were said. The question is what they mean. For instance, Enom is it's a, it's a pasuk in Parshas Ve'eschanam. So the words mean there is none other than him. So the Unklus says it means that there's no shalit, ein shulta, there's no um, a ruler other than him. The Rambam also seems to learn like that. The Enom right? Atar es ladas ke Hashem hu elikim, Enom Hashem is Elikim and there's no other. That could just mean ain right? Hashem hu Elikim there's no ruler other than him. Right? So and you do have in the Zohar, for instance, it says Laysa Sarponimine. Right? Late Atar Ponimine, there is no Atar, late Atar, there's no place, Panuimine, void of him. So you certainly have that in the Zohar. But also to Afton said, what does that mean? So Laysa Sarponimine means he's in everything, he's everywhere. What about everything else? What's the relationship of everything else to Hashem? So the place where really the Alter Rebbe gives over in Tanya, the main Yisoydis of the Baal Shem Tov is Shara Yichud Vemuna. 
Shari Yichud Vemuna is the second part of Tanya, and it's really the theology of Tanya. In other words, the, the, if you if to look at at Ve'adata Yom there's understanding, an idea Ve'adata Hayom, to know an idea, to understand it, and then there's Ve'ashavais Lavavecha, how to make it part of you, how to internalize it. So the first part of Tanya, the first 53 chapters, is about the Ve'ashavais Lavavecha, internalizing it, how to, how to use the ideas of Chesidus and serve Hashem with it, how to understand Torah mitzvahs, etc. The second part of Tanya, Shari Yichud Vemuna, which means the gate to the unity and faith, is where the, Balsh- where the Altar gives over the main idea of the Baal Shem Tov, the Viadata Hayom. So let's first talk about, let's, look, let's take a look at, uh, and so the, the two, and the two places, the two ideas, the main ideas of the Baal Shem Tov are in chapter 1 and chapter 7 of Shari Yichud. Perak Aleph and Perak Zayin, those are the two main places. So let's just take a look inside. I don't want to do it, this is definitely not going to be textual, I don't want to get into the text now. But I just want to show us a couple of lines here and there. So open up to the second part of Tanya. It's on page 290. Page 290 on the bottom numbers. <clears throat> Everyone see it? What's the Says the Alter Rebbe. Let us understand, at least in a small measure, the statement in the Zohar that Shema Yisrael is Yehudi Ilah and Bor Shem Kvod Machusalam Vod is Yehuda Tata. Shema Yisrael Yehudi Ilah means the higher level unity, and Bor Shem Kvod Machusalam Vod is the lower level unity. So we see from the Zohar that there are two levels of God's unity. Now you understand. The pshat way we usually understand Hashem Echad, meaning that there's only one God, monotheism, there are no levels to that. Right? There's no other God. Finished. Where do levels come in? So you already see from the Zohar the fact that it's saying that there are two levels, Yehudi Ilah and Yehuda Tata'ah, the upper level unity, the higher level unity. Shmai Hashem Echad is the upper level unity. Baruch Shem Kvod Muchusalim Vod is the lower level unity. The fact that you're seeing the Zohar that there are levels to unity means it's not just mon. It's more than just monotheism. There's something deeper than that. And these two levels of, of, of understanding God's unity is chapter 1 of Shari Chod and chapter 7 of Shari Chod And the, the, so yes, the Baal Shem Tev is certainly based on the Baal Shem Tev is not Chas Shalom giving over uh, uh, something that wasn't there before, but he's revealing what's essentially there. The Baal Shem is revealing what the Zohar means. So let's see. Yeah. More than just sta- they're not just statements of theology. It's different Yehudim that we're doing, right? Or am I reading it wrong? Well, yes, like, no, you're right. Yehud Ilan, Yehud Tata are two levels that we are supposed to unify the world with God. Okay. I'll say that again. We're supposed to unify the world with God. And there's an upper level unity in doing that and a lower level unity how to do that. It's like a whole other thing that like we're doing a unification. Correct. That Achtus, that's, that's, that's a good point. That Achtus is, is active. The truth is that you had already by the Kabbalists, by the Makubalim, you had the idea of Yehudim, of unifications. 
So what's the difference of the way the Baal Shem Tov explained Yehudim and the way the Kabbalists talk about Yehudim, right? In Kabbalah, it's full of the idea of Yehudim, of, um, how do you say, uh, uniting different names of God, uniting different levels of God's light, aspect of God, right? That's, the, that's very much in Kabbalah, that idea of Yehudim. But that's not talking about the world. That's talking about within divinity, uniting divine forces. That's not, that doesn't say anything about the actual world. And that's what the, the Tzemach Tzedek writes in Dechmet Tzesecha, that essentially what the Baal Shem Tov is essentially saying is once you understand what Kabbalah says Yehudim is, and you show how that's connected to the world, that's how you understand how the world is united with God. So let's see inside. Let's just start, let's just read a few lines. <clears throat> Know this day, Does anyone have any questions, by the way? Just to make sure. Feel free if anyone has any question. So the Alt Rebbe begins by quoting the Pasuk from Ve'eschanam, that you should know today and take unto your heart that Hashem, God, is the Lord in the heavens above and upon the earth below, there is no other. Right? Eino, there is no other. So again, seemingly pshat, what does it mean there is no other? That Hashem will like him in the heavens and the earth, huh? There's no but other there's God. No other. <laughs> there's no other God. Yeah. That's pshat, right? God is God in the heavens above and the earth below. There is no other. A no, there is no other God. Right? Ask the Alter Rebbe, this, this requires explanation for would it occur to you that there is a God soaking in the waters beneath the earth that it is necessary to negate it so strongly as to say, take to your heart? And it was, what's the Pusik saying? You should take to your heart, know today, and it's not enough to know, you have to internalize, you have to work on taking it to your heart, that mal in the heavens above, and the water is soaking below the earth, there's no other God. So Alpha says, you, what do you think, there's another God, you, would you have thought that there's another God soaking in the, in the waters under the earth? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. God, the Loch Ness monster being God, right? The, the, the says you wouldn't think such a thing. Now, seemingly, you would say, "What do you mean?" But the, the Greeks did. I mean, you had you had you know polytheists that believed that there was a God and the water. But what he's saying, the way the Alter was saying, is it is that if you want to be told monotheism as opposed to polytheism, if it's coming to tell you that there is no God means that God is the only God and there are no sub gods. <clears throat> then just say v'yadata hayom. The question is on the words v'ashavaysa That's, if you're just trying to be told monotheism is a polytheism, that's a, a rational, an idea that you understand in your mind, and now I got it. It's not, the, it's not something you have to work on. V'ashavaysa the connotation that you're being told, you have to take it to your heart, means it's not enough to know here. You have to bring it down to your heart, you have to work on meditating on it. It's something much deeper. And so what the Baal Shem Tev is going to explain, Ein Od, doesn't mean only that there's no other God. What does Ein Od mean? There's nothing other than Him. That the world is also Him. There's no, Ein Od means there's nothing other than Him. That the waters under the earth, Ala Arts Mitochas, is also Him. And that's why you need to be told Why? Because you're being told something that completely defies your five senses. 
You're being told something rationally that goes against your five senses. If you're just being told that, that, that Hashem Olekim Eino just means there's one God as opposed to many, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't go against my senses. It doesn't contradict my sensual experience. But if I'm being told that everything is godliness, it doesn't look like it. It just looks like you know, a world with accountants and IRS people, right? It just looks like a world. So therefore you need to be told That's what the Alter Rebbe is saying. And so to explain that, the Alter Rebbe brings one of the main teachings of the Baal Shem Tov. Let's see. It is written, it says in Tehillim, in the 119th chapter of Tehillim, Forever, O Lord, your word stands from the heavens. In the Hebrew, in the Hebrew it's the fifth line from the top. It's written in Tehillim, That's a Pesach in Tehillim 119. Your word, Le'olam forever, Nitzav Bashamayim stands in the heavens. Right? That's how the Pesach is translated. In, the, in English, forever, O Lord, your word stands firm in the heavens. It's a Pesach in Tehillim. Le'olam Hashem dvarcha Nitzav Bashamayim. Forever, O God, your word stands in the heavens. What in the world does that mean? It's a weird Pesach. Forever, O God, your word stands in the heavens. What's that talking about? So the Baal Shem Tov, a blessed memory, has explained. Here the Alter quotes the Baal Shem Tov. There's only three times in Tanya actually quotes the Baal Shem Tov. This is one of them. The Baal Shem Tov, a blessed memory, has explained. What does it mean, Dvarcha? Your word was saying to God, your word stands in the heavens. Your word which you uttered. Let there be a ferment. Dvarcha sha'amarte yehira kibatoichamayim. The words that you said, Yehira when did God make the heavens? What day? day two. When did he make the firmament? Day two, right? Day two. How did he make the firmament? He said, Yehira Kia God said, Yehimaim. We know how did God create? Genesis chapter one, how did God create? With words. Right? Which, of course, you know that's, that's where the whole idea of abracadabra comes from, right? Abracadabra means created by words. Abracadabra, right? Hashem speaks the world into existence. So, but the way to understand, the simple way of understanding is that if you read Bereshus simply, it just means God said and zip, it came into being. When you read Bereshus before the Baal Shem, without Chasidus, how do you read Bereshus? God said, let there be a firmament. And the firmament popped into being. Right? God said, let the Yishutsu Amayim, let the waters teem with, uh, with fish, with living creatures, and they popped into being. God made them pop into being. Because he said it in Baruch Sha'amar, V'haya Ayla. He said it, and the world came into being. Baal Shem Tev said, no, that's not Pshat. The Baal Shem, of a blessed memory, has explained that your word which you utter, Dvar Chasha Marta, These words, these very words and letters of God's speech 
stand firmly forever within that firmament and are forever clothed within all the heavens to give them life. In Hebrew, umuluboshois, clothed betoich, within the heavens to give them life. So what's the Baal Shem Tov's over here? What's the Baal Shem Tov saying? That the words of God are what becomes, what brings the world into existence and is enclosed in the world all the time. The energy, that the light that is the existence of all worlds are, is, are the words of God, the letters of the divine speech. Now, let's just explain for a moment what does it mean, letters of divine speech? What does it mean, divine speech? God doesn't have a mouth. What does it mean, God spoke? What's the nimshal? What's the idea that all the anthropomorphisms in Torah, we have to graduate and understand that there's a deeper idea being, being said over here. So what's the idea? What does divine speech mean? What's the idea that God speaks? So, <clears throat> we understand what is speech? Speech is a revelation. <coughs> speech is how you reveal yourself to someone else. There's something behind speech. <coughs> What's behind speech? The whatever idea you have that I translate into the words I'm saying. Right. And there's also the emotion that you put into the words you're saying. Right? So that's the idea of the ten spheres. That God, con- God contracts himself to, into these ten emotional or intellectual and emotional attributes, if you heard the idea of the ten spheres, right? That's what's behind God's speech. Or is that God's speech itself? What, the ten spheres? No, I mean, whatever, whatever I'm thinking, whatever is behind the speech, is, I mean, you could possibly equate that, I mean, God didn't say that didn't actually use English and say the words. It's whatever it comes, whatever the origination comes from, right? So somehow, I mean, I don't know if it's the ten spheres, but it's like that's what we're all somehow tapping into, right? If you're able to, I guess once you go through the levels, right? But that's I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. Can I? I don't. Well, I just, I just want to. First of all, when you go up through the levels. You know, Hasidim used to say that Rav Shimba Yochai with the Zohar made a map to show how to get up to God. And the Arizal came and built a ladder to show how to get up to God. And then the Baal Shem Tov came and said, you don't need a map or a ladder because God is right here. So it's definitely not at ascending levels. But what, I just, well, to, just I, the ten spheres, the ten spheres are a way God manifests. They're not God creating something. There's, there's how God contracts himself to manifest as creator. But the creation is through speech. The muscle, the parable to explain how God manifests as creator is our personality. Intellect, emotions, what you said is behind speech. So that's, so to speak, within, still within God. It's not God creating yet. It's still within God. In the language of Hasidus, that's the world of Atsilus, the highest of the four worlds. The world of Atsilus is where God is in the ten spheres, where God is now manifesting with, a, so to speak, a personality. Right? Bria, the three lower worlds, is where God is actually creating. So speech is the word that's used when it's actually talking about God creating. That the metaphor of God creating 
is speech. You understand? Not, not God within divinity, but rather creating something, so to speak, outside of God. The metaphor for that is speech. Why? Because what is speech? A revelation to outside yourself. Who you are, which includes your intellect, your emotions, that's what you put into speech. So speech is a revelation of who you are. But on the other hand, it's certainly not the essence of who you are. It's just a revelation. Right? Mm -hmm. So on one end, is speech you or not? When you talk, is the speech you or not? It's you. It's, it's something other than you. The words that you're saying, the, the words that come out, the speech that emanates from you is nothing other than you. But it's not you. It's not all of you. It's an emanation from you. That's what divine speech means. And therefore, Kabbalah and Hasidus look at the 22 letters of the Aleph Beis, with really 27, because there's 20 to this five Menatzbach, right? The five Sophites. Each letter is another godly energy, godly light, godly revelation. And what the Baal Shem Tov is saying is that that godly light, that godly revelation, is forever within the world to bring it into existence. Skip to a second. Um, let, let, let's, yeah, what, Nomi? There are seven Rakim. The Gemara says there are seven Rakim. There are seven firmaments, seven heavens. You ever heard of the term seventh heaven? It comes from the Gemara. There's Shiva Rakim. What is it? Different levels of heaven. I don't, or, or different levels of the ferment. I don't know exactly. Like, I don't know, does it stop by Pluto? Does it continue the Milky Way? I don't know. I have no idea. It's but, physical? Huh? It's meant to be physical? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I don't know. I think, I, I think it's probably a combination of physical and spiritual, but um, I really don't know exactly what that means. So is, is existence always being... Brought into being. Yes, yeah. that's the Belshemtov's like exactly. That's the Belshemtov's idea. Yes, exactly. Creation is never something that happened. Creation, God is doing now. God is talking now. Look, in, let's look inside a little more. Look, look inside a little more. Uh, we're on the second page, the second column on top. These very words and letters stand firmly forever within the ferment of heaven and are forever clothed within all the heavens to give them life. What does that mean, they're forever clothed within all the heavens to give them life? What does he mean clothed within? What does it mean clothed within? They're there, but they're not revealed. They're, they're the life force within something, right? You take them out, there's no What's that? Oh, and that's what he goes on to say. He says, uh, skip a couple lines, for three or four lines. For if the letters, you see it? For if the, after the quotation marks, for if the letters were to depart, even for an instant, God forbid, and return to their source, meaning God, that light, that energy, the divine, the 22 letters, the 22 ways God's light manifests, if those would return to their source, all the heavens would become naught and absolute nothingness. And it would be as though they had never existed at all exactly as before the utterance. 
In other words, if God wanted the world to stop it, to, to be destroyed, he wouldn't have to destroy it. He would just have to stop talking, so to speak. Again, talking meaning what do we define speech? A particular emanation of light, a particular way of revelation. So the world, the heavens, what is the Shemaim? When you look at the sky, what are you seeing? You're seeing the words of God, you hear Akiah. You're seeing the light of God manifesting as those letters, you hear Akiah. And it's not just... Now the Pasuk in Tehillim said Shemaim. But the altar continues with the Baal Shem that says, look further on. And so it is with all created things, not just the heaven, because we know what did God create with speech? Everything, right? God created everything with speech. So he says that so it is with all created things in the upper and lower worlds, even the upper, the angels also. Angels are also creations by their God's speech. And even this physical earth, which is the realm of the inanimate, this earth, if the letters of the ten utterances by which the earth was created during the six days of creation, if they were to depart from it for but an instant, God forbid, it would revert to naught and absolute nothingness exactly as before the six days of creation. And the Altarbis says that this same thought was expressed by the Arizal, and here you'll see how Hasidus like takes the Arizal, how the Baal Shemta took the Arizal, and, and this idea was expressed by the Arizal when he said that even in completely inanimate matter like stones or earth or water, there is a soul. The Arizal writes that in, even inanimate objects have souls. A spoon has a soul, a rock has a soul, water has a soul. So what does that mean? I mean, when you read that Rizal, it's like almost like a Disney movie. You know, like in Beauty and the Beast, where like the forks are dancing and the plates are, are singing and dancing and everything. What, what does that Rizal mean? That? What, does it, what does it mean that everything has a soul? A rock has a soul. So the altar says, the Baal Shantav explains, that is the spiritual life force thing, clothing of the letters of speech, of the ten utterances, which give life and existence to an animate matter that it might arise out of the nought and nothingness which preceded it. Right? So therefore, every inanimate object, anything you see, is Hashem speaking it into existence. And those letters, so to speak, which again, those letters are, each letter is another divine force. You know, I, I, uh, I assume, Nomi, you probably know this light years more than I do, because I'm not a science person, but the way proteins, how do, pro, how do, how do our bodies come together by proteins mix and come together, right? There are different proteins and different... I remember this from school from many, many moons ago that there's... that there are different... Huh? Amino acids. Uh, they come together. And how those come together, different ways that they come together, huh? They bond. The way that they bond, that makes the different bodies and different aspects of the body. So it, that is a... Like everything in this world, everything in this world is a reflection and a ma- ma- microcosm of how it is by God that the 22 letters are the, so to speak, amino acids or proteins of God and the way that they become, go around, the way that they come out is, becomes the actual life force of that particular object. Now, but you might ask a simple question. So wait, everything that exists is God speaking it into existence, meaning the ten utterances, the Bereshus chapter one, but wouldn't that mean that every single stone that ever existed should have to be written in the Torah. Like every snowflake should be written in the Torah. Because you're saying that everything that exists is the divine utterance. But how many utterances does the Torah say? Only ten. How many 
things exist. More than 10. Trillions and trillions. So what does that mean? So God is actually supposedly saying trillions of utterances. So Alter says, Now although the name Evan, stone, is not mentioned in the 10 utterances recorded in the Torah, you don't see the word Evan in the Torah. Right? You don't see it anywhere. The word Evan. Not just Evan. Evan well, yeah, Evan, you're not in the Torah. Right? right? You don't see the word Evan, uh, stone, anywhere. Again, it's not just stone. It doesn't say lollipop in the Torah either. Right? It doesn't say all these things in the Torah. Nevertheless, yeah. <laughs> Nevertheless, life force flows to the stone through combinations and substitutions of the letters which are transposed in the 231 gates in direct or reverse order as explained in the Sefer Yetzirah. Anyone ever heard of the 238 gates? Right that there. thing over there, that artistic thing is actually a representation of the 238 gates. What the 238 gates means that, and I don't know how to do this exactly, but there's a certain way, the method of how you put the letters together that the ten utterances, if you take those letters of the ten utterances, you actually, what it says in Chumash, in Bereshis, those ten things, and God said, and God said, those letters, you have 238 ways of moving the letters around to bring every particular thing that exists into existence. 231, it's the... It's the 238, 238. I it's 231. Oh, 231, I'm sorry. Yeah, so yeah, it's 231. The, it's, the, it's the maximum number of shidduch and you can make between every two, two letter combination. And Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Okay, makes sense. Combinations. Okay, yeah. makes sense, totally makes sense. So, and, and that becomes, those combination substitutions. So in other words, when Kabbalah gets into all these word games, that this is gematria, this and this is that, if it's real, not, not just on somebody like using a computer to fix, but like the real combinations and sirufim, that's, that's what brings life into existence. That's why, by the way, this, what's, what's Kabbalah Masit? You ever heard of Kabbalah Masit? Uh, practical Kabbalah. The fun stuff, right. The stuff that the, the Sephardim were very into this especially. The Sephardim were very... In fact, um, you know, uh, uh, there's a person in my family who, when he was born, had a very big issue with his lung and the doctor said he probably wouldn't live. And his mother went to uh, one of the... He, uh, I, I don't remember the exact... They, he doesn't remember the exact name, but it seems to be Shalom Sharabi. It was a big, a big, big Kabbalist in the north of Israel and got a Kamea. You know what a Kamea is? Like they write certain letters and stuff, an amulet, and he got better. And he got better. The person was my father, actually. So, so what did the Svardim do? They write different letters. And because if you're on that level that you could see into things, you see what letters, so to speak, things are made of. What divine letters are, are bringing you into existence. So if you know how to... Exactly. So if you know, like the Matrix. So if you know how to play around with that, you could change things in reality. That's why, anyone remember the famous Gemara and Tainus when uh, Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa's daughter came to him and said, Erev Shabbos, we don't have oil for Shabbos candles. We don't have money for oil for Shabbos candles. So what did, what did Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa tell his daughter? Use vinegar. And he said, Misha Omar, the Shemin she... she uh, Huh? The one that said that oil should burn will say that vinegar will burn. 
But the words of the Gemara says, Misha Omar, the one that said that oil should burn, meaning that he was changing around the letters. Right? That's what Sefer Yitzir is about. All these letter stuff. That's how the Maharal made a golem. Right? How the Maharal ma- You can make a person that <clears throat> there's an idea in Chazal, an Adam Shanasa de Sefer Yitzira. It's actually, it's not, it's a halacha. It's brought in Mishnah Bru, it's brought in halacha. Are you allowed to use a man made from Sefer Yitzira for a minion? A whole shal, if you're allowed to be mitzar, if a person made from other mitzvah meaning, meaning there were tzaddikim that knew how to do this. The Gemara says that Abai and Rava made a, a iglatilsa, a three-year-old um, uh, calf to eat with the Sefer Yitzir. They push and made a calf with the Sefer Yitzir. So the bottom line was saying that the letters are the building blocks of reality. Now, what do we mean the letters? And in this way, it's not like the major. What do we mean the letters? What are letters? that are the building blocks of reality. Letters are the divine speech. What does divine speech mean? The divine light, God revealing His light in a particular way. Making every, His light be able to be enclosed in everything that exists. And so really what, what, what that means, um, well, let, let's read a little further. Let's keep reading a little further. <clears throat> he says, so... The life force flows, to, even though it doesn't say stone in the Torah, but life force flows to the stone through combinations and substitutions of the letters which are transposed in the 231 gates in the Sefi, in direct reverse from Sefiyat until the combination of the name Evan descends from the ten utterances and is derived from them. And this is the life force of the stone. And so it is with all created things in the world. Anything that exists, every chair, every blade of grass, their names in the holy tongue are the very letters of speech which descend degree by degree from the ten utterances recorded in the Torah. That's, by the way, the Ram says this in the first page of the Dharam. That's why, one of the reasons why it's called Lashon Kodesh, that the, the name of something in Lashon Kodesh, in Hebrew, is not just an agreed-upon name, Right? The, the, in, the Ran in the beginning of the Dharam says that other languages are Shemus Haskemim. They're just agreed upon. We all agree that we'll call an ox an ox. There's no connection between the letters Z, O, and X to the actual ox. Just we agree that's what we're going to call it. A cat we decide we'll call a cat. But the letters, there's no real connection. You could have just called, you could have called it a marshmallow for the same, at the same price, right? But in Lashon Kodesh, the name of something is the letters that bring it into existence. A shor, an ox, shin vav resh, are the letters that bring it into existence. Now there are many oxes and oxen in the world. So shin vav resh descends to each ox in particular, goes through all these 231 gates to become each particular ox. By means of substitutions and transpositions of the letters through the 231 gates, etc. Oh. Now the Altar then asks, so why doesn't it actually, so why doesn't it say all these things in the Torah? Well, because then it would make, it would make Hagba very difficult if, yeah. if the Torah would actually say every object that ever existed. But besides that, the Altar says because the actual utterances in the Torah are too powerful, they're too general, and they have to descend degree by degree to become every particular object. So essentially, what are we saying? So the Baal Shem Tev is saying that everything... It being brought into existence is God speaking it now into existence. It's a continuous process. He's continuously creating the world, right? Says the Alter Rebbe, what does that mean? 
if God needs to be continuously bringing it into existence every moment, then essentially what is it? It's the light of Hashem. What is everything? It's the light of Hashem. When, because, the, because Hashem has to every moment be bringing the world into existence, when you have to continuously do something, that force that you're using is always going to be connected to you. Meaning what? If I, for instance, take a, a rock or, and I throw it up, how long will the rock fly for? Three seconds. Well, what does, it, depe- what does it depend on? How heavy the rock is. How much force you put into it. Yeah, right? As soon as, and how heavy is the rock. And how heavy is the rock. So how much force is in that rock? Right? So you put your energy into that rock and that is causing the rock to fly. But then it stops. Then it falls. Why does the rock end up falling? Because the energy you put in it is making it fly. It will only fly as long as the energy you put in it is making it fly. So too, and why, and why is that? Why do you need to always be putting that energy in the rock to make it fly? Why will it fall if it doesn't have your energy? It doesn't have its own energy. Because it doesn't have its, it's not a bird. It's not, it's not flying by itself. It's your energy that's making it fly. So only as long as your energy is in it will it fly. The Baal Shem Tov is saying, only as long as God is continuously speaking, emanating His light into every molecule of reality, will it exist. Existence is a continuous revelation of Hashem's light. Every particular, Hashem is constantly speaking every particular blade of grass into existence, every rock. That's Yehudatata. This is the lower level unity. This is the lower level unity. Why is it the lower level unity? We'll, we'll understand better next week because this level of unity is understanding how every object in the world is essentially a godly light, a godly emanation, a speech. It's all emanations from God. But the higher level unity is going to be how to understand that those emanations are united with God's essence. That they never really become separate from God's infinite essence. That's Yehudi law. That's the higher level unity we'll talk about next week. But this is, this is the main, this is the beginning of the Baal Shem Torahs to understand that all the Kabbalists all spoke about upper worlds and, and Yehudim. The Baal Shem said, Yehudim Tata means unifying the worlds with God. Achtos Hashem is a verb. Achtos Hashem means uniting the worlds with God. How? Through Torah mitzvahs, through meditation, through seeing the world as the light of God. That changes the, its reality. Remember the Pizetsim, we're learning B'nai Machshavatova. He speaks about that by, 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 remember we mentioned that by the, 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 the subject seeing God and everything, that actually transforms the world. Right? So Yehuda Tata means to begin seeing everything as a word of God, as a speech of God, as another way God's light is manifesting. That's the lower level of unity. And so, you know, the way that actually I really like it, um, so I saw when somebody said, the Baal, this moon of the Baal Shem, this idea of the Baal Shem Tev brings the world to life. The world itself is godliness, is elokus. Mm-hmm. It's a different way of approaching reality. Everything you see, every, everything you see is God bringing into existence. 
You know, there's a, a story that one time the Rebbe Rashab was the Shom Dober, the fifth Rebbe of Chabad, was walking with his son, the Rebbe Ayatz. They were walking and, and they were talking about deep ideas and the Rebbe Ayatz at the time was a young man and he sort of absentmindedly, as he was listening to his father, he tore a leaf from a tree. You know, just, you know, absentmindedly, they're walking along the forest, he just tore a leaf from a tree. And the Rebbe Shab like stopped and was like completely like, it's like he said, after what the Baal Shem Tov teaches, that there has to be a whole ishtalshah, that God contracts his light through degree by degree, through millions of contractions in worlds, till it, there could be one speech that there's this particular blade, this particular leaf. How could you just destroy it for no reason? It's godliness. It's alive. It's with godliness. So it's, it's a whole new way of approaching reality and a whole new way of understanding that everything within you is godliness. And that's ultimately Kirvas Hashem. And that brings to other things that we began speaking about. We'll continue with Hashem next week. How, how do look at the the words that Academia Leila Shon is creating now? I'm sorry, say that again? The, the, the Lingual Academy in Israel, that they create new words all the time. So, <laughs> that's the difference between Ivrit and Lashon Kodesh. So, Lashon Kodesh is a Finite uh, uh, words. Lashon Kodesh is 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 Lashon Mikra. It's Lashon Mikrai. Finite. Yeah. Uh, it's in other words, the, the Sorry, what, what, you know. So new, new words are are included. Right? So shin vibrations is the essence of the thing. But, right. Uh, so I, so I my question that I've wondered, and this you know doesn't it doesn't explain Chassidus, but like so what's a, what's an iPhone? Is God saying let there be an iPhone? And the answer is yes. That's why, you know, there's a whole, anyone, if you ever learn Mishnayis Kalim, there's, it's, a, it's a, one of the longest, not the longest Masech to Mishnayis, there's 30 Prokim, it's huge. And what's all Kalim about? It has to do with Tumma, it's all the laws of impurity, whatever. But like, what Torah calls a vessel? When is it called a chair? When is a chair called a chair? Right? It's discussed in, in, in the philosophers also talk about it. If you put just a piece of wood, is it a chair? Or do you have to have legs? to make it a chair. It has three legs or four legs. Maybe you have to have a back to it to be called a chair. So that's what the Mishnahis talk about. And, and I understand that that means that the Mishnahis are saying, what is God saying? What are the letters? What is the, 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 the word that God is saying, so to speak, to bring this thing into existence? So yes, every new object has another God is saying, let there be an iPhone. I don't know how that, that derives from, through the Sefi Yitzira from the letters of the Soma Mars, but obviously there is. Every object has another mimer has another Dvar Hashem, has another word of God. Everything is the Dvar Hashem. Everything you see is the Dvar, is the words of Hashem, the contracted light of God. So, but everything you're saying is like, it's still saying it and intellectualizing it, right? Is there a way to actually, you said like, there's a way to eventually internalize it. Beautiful question. That's the first 53 chapters of Tanya. In other words, that's, that's exactly what I said, the Vahashavayisul of Avecha. In other words, it, the, the, the second part of Tanashara Yichud is the Vedatayom is, like you said, the idea, the, the theology, right? We're beginning to learn the theology of the Baal Shem Tov. And then the other, the first part of Tanya, the first 53 chapters is saying, how do you make that real? How do you, about contemplating about it, how it connects to Torah mitzvahs? That's what the first part of Tanya is about. The question is why the Altarba didn't start the other way with Shara Yichud first. Because Kosimim Vedatayom comes before Vashavayisul Vavecha. 
And the answer the Rebbe gave is because ultimately the ultimate purpose is the actually doing Torah mitzvahs. Well, people need something to do, right? <laughs> so yeah. yeah. It's, uh... it's one way of saying it, yeah. Do we have a minion? Yeah, I think we do. Oh, okay. Anyone else? Any other questions, comments, or witticisms? I just noticed in the very beginning. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. The lower and the higher, the word reminds me of the Yehuda. Yes, it, it, it is the same word. Mm-hmm. Yehuda means to, in other words, <clears throat> Yehud means, Liached um, means to unify. The word yichud could also be mean like not to, like there's there's also a, um, a a prohibition that a man can't be in yichud with a woman he's not married to right can't be alone with her in a room that they can't be alone together yichud means to unify yet yeah, it is the same word um, yeah yeah just like two comments mm-hmm. you can put it.